In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen and this is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined, as always, by my producer down under, Tim. Good day, Tim. G'day. Congratulations on 400 Sunday shows and I hope you had at least some of Valentine's Day was a good day and not all work. Yeah, 400 is a lot for the Sunday show. That is the target at which to aim for this show. We'll see if we ever get there. Uh, but yes, happy Valentine's Day, or perhaps Valentine's yesterday, if you're in the Aussie future. Uh, thanks for spending your evening with us, or should I say, I'm sorry you're spending your evening with us. Better luck next year. The good news is uh, I have a fantastic guest this evening. He is Adam Vina, my Southern California dad in a custody fight for his five-year-old son, Aiden. Aiden's mom is transitioning him into a girl against Adam's wishes, And the court in L.A. has blocked him out of his son's life. We'll get to that later in the show. A little bit of a news roundup before we do. Uh, A shooting earlier today rocks the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. One dead, dozens injured. But it looks like the kind of mass shooting that doesn't count and won't be news by this time tomorrow. We'll see. Meanwhile, the House succeeds this week in impeaching DHS Secretary, uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by one vote as the Republican majority shrinks even slimmer now that expelled Republican member of Congress George Santos has been replaced by a Democrat. The next battle for Congress, of course, is finalizing a sweet package of foreign aid after the Senate just passed it uh, yesterday or late uh, Monday night, early Tuesday morning. So we'll take a look at those stories. Plus, uh, after the interview, we'll take an email question to close and your super chats on YouTube and Rumble as well. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into those stories. Uh, I mentioned last week the audio feeds of the show are available, which they are. Just a reminder to everyone, if you would like to listen on a podcast platform, those are available to you. But we have even more podcast platforms available to you now. Not only Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but also... Google Podcasts, Pandora, and there's an RSS feed that you can plug into whatever podcasting app you prefer. So if you'd like to get the show in an audio format, you can head on over to the podcast page of my website. That's mattchristensenmedia.com slash podcasts. And they are all linked right there for your convenience. And hey, speaking of Valentine's Day, uh, Lauren Southern has an appropriately themed new documentary just released this afternoon on Tenet. Empty Love explores modern romance in the digital age and technology's influence on our romantic lives. Here is a quick look at Lauren's new documentary. When you think of love and romance, we have many different cultural icons that come to mind. Passionate kisses in the rain, like from The Notebook, sexual lust and desire, mysterious and fleeting connections. But today, millennials partake in a version of love and relationships far different from that of their forefathers. Great cultural shifts like the decline of religion, the sexual revolution, the rise of feminism and liberalism, 
have thrown romance into a new, confusing age. And younger generations are utterly addicted to trying to solve this crisis. Here are things you should never say to a woman, ever. Ladies, pay attention. The average Zoomer is being drip-fed a constant warp reality. Empty Love is now available on Tenet's YouTube and Rumble channels. So give it a look after the stream, of course. Have your priorities in order. Uh, and congratulations to Lauren on that. But let's hop into the news. Uh, earlier today, the Chiefs had their Super Bowl champion parade through downtown Kansas City. And there was an apparent mass shooting. Uh, eight children are among 22 people hit by gunfire at the end of the parade. One person is dead. Identity not yet officially disclosed. Um, Tim, you, you said you had some information on that potentially, on the identity of the person who has died. Is that correct? Yeah, so the, fat so the fatality just shout out to the, the chat from initially giving the information. It's a woman by the name of Lisa Lopez Galvin. Uh, she is a DJ for a radio station in Kansas City called KKFI. Uh, from what I could tell reading up on her, uh, she was a mother of two children. And uh, the yeah, the station did release a statement, just a one sentence from it. The yeah, so they've confirmed access, it. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, people yeah, are so saying something. Yeah, yeah. And they've said this census act has taken a beautiful person from her family and this KC community. So, yeah, they've released a statement that uh yeah confirms the actual identity so, and no yeah. known connection to the shooters so far or at least we don't we don't know if this person was randomly hit or if this person was targeted not anything that i've seen okay. no the the person in chat that pointed out apparently does have a, a family connection and that's why they knew who it was they'd obviously they must have heard it through someone through the grapevine family okay. family friends something like that but um no in terms of the actual shooter not that i can see okay. no well, thanks for the information and thanks to the uh, the chatter for cluing us in on that, too, because officially so far, at least in the reporting I've seen, uh, we don't have identities or motives or anything like that disclosed yet. But what we do know is, again, uh, 22 people hit by gunfire, eight children involved, one person dead, as described. Uh, three people have been arrested. Identities on those arrested also not officially released, though. There is video of the guys in question. We'll get to that momentarily. According to the police chief earlier today at a press conference, parade attendees tackled and held one of the guys involved until police arrested him. On Twitter, there is video of exactly that. You can see the guy trying to escape through the crowd. He's got a couple people pursuing him. Two guys jump on top of him and hold him down until police arrest him. No, no. Oh, we tackled him. One of the guys who made the tackle, his name is Tony Mike on Twitter. One of the guys involved in apprehending this guy, at least. In a photo he posted of what is apparently the weapon involved or one of the weapons involved, it looks like some kind of AR pistol. Hard to tell exactly what it is. Some sort of short AR setup. Potentially, it's sort of obscured by that backpack there. But looks like what could be a 40-round mag on it uh, and a vertical foregrip that's likely a federal felony with this setup. Don't know. Can't tell how long the barrel is. Not that this person cares anyway. Uh, now, officially, as I mentioned, there is no motive, no identities on the shooter or shooters. 
uh, no detailed understanding of who these people are, why they did it. So officially it, it, it could be anything from a crazed 49er fan getting his revenge to some deranged Swifty angry that Travis Kelsey has stolen his chance at his queen or something like that. But given Kansas City's gang problem and the fact that it's setting murder records, there is another plausible explanation. And it looks like this is a mass shooting that doesn't count because this looks like a mass shooting of color by potentially youths settling a turf dispute or something to that effect. That is what it looks like. There is video of these three young men getting arrested earlier today. Bro. No way, bro. Now, again, that is unofficial. I am assuming that those arrested uh, or the, the, the people arrested there are the people responsible for the shooting and the death and the injuries. Maybe it'll turn out differently upon investigation, uh, but odds are that that is what it appears to be. So this will count in the mass shootings that they use to pad the stats that they love reporting. Uh, this year, there have been 10 million mass shootings, one every five seconds. Don't you know that? But it will not receive the individual attention for very long, if at all, in all likelihood. It'll be just like the New York subway shooting that killed one and injured five on Monday. But those two, that shooting too, was by suspects of color. So that is not necessarily news. And the uh, it'll be filed right next to the, the trans free Palestine immigrant shooter in Houston at Joel Osteen's church on Sunday. Not the right demographic. Doesn't count as news. Only a nameless, faceless statistic they can use to try to disarm you through gun control later. Now, the other piece of the news here that's very important. uh, (laughs) I suppose there's an opportunity for a poor taste joke about Taylor Swift. Uh, But this, of course, is a terrible event. I won't stoop to such lows. But uh, if there are any Swifties out there, you can relax. She is fine. She was apparently not at the parade, or at least was not seen in the company of Travis Kelsey throughout the parade. So uh, that is where that shooting stands now. Of course, if there's any more information coming from the chat or elsewhere, uh, Tim, keep me updated on that. But uh, for now, let's move on to congressional politics. First and foremost, um, begun the impeachment wars have actually they began a long time ago this is like this is the next stage in the impeachment wars i'm not going to spend a ton of time on this story because i discussed it more at length last week but yesterday house speaker mike johnson was able to correct his mistake from last week when of course he accidentally lost a house vote to impeach dhs secretary alejandro mayorkas whose name i can never pronounce on the first try but i think i got it that time for his failure to secure the border of course The final vote was 214 to 213, so just a one-vote difference. And the single vote was Steve Scalise returning from blood cancer treatment. Scalise was absent last week, so that's the difference. The same three Republicans uh, split to vote with Democrats, Buck, McClintock, and Gallagher. For the same reasons we discussed last week, they think impeachment should be reserved for crimes. This impeachment is not an accusation of a crime even though it is an accusation of not following the law, but I get what they mean, so they're out. The Senate will now uh, take up a trial for Mayorkas, or at least they will in a few weeks. Presumably they're going to take about five seconds to acquit him, but Chuck Schumer says that once the Senate returns from recess at the end of the month, the House impeachment managers will present the articles of impeachment to the Senate. Uh the uh, And as soon as they do, the next day, the Senate jurors will be sworn in and the presi- presiding over the trial will be uh, Senator Patty Murray 
of Washington. And whether it takes five seconds or a little longer, Mayorkas, of course, will be acquitted in the Senate and uh, he will not be removed from office. It is a show, of course, even if it is a necessary show in response to the shows that were the prior two Trump impeachments. Uh, And if Democrats have a problem with that show, they are welcome to pledge to stop their own show impeachments anytime. Until then, the impeachment wars will carry on and they'll have to accept the norm that they created. But another reason that this vote was as close as it was uh, is, is because of the absence of former Republican Congressman George Santos of New York, who, of course, was expelled in December uh, after being indicted on charges related to campaign finance violations and stealing from campaign donors and lying to Congress. Very serious accusations, of course. Uh, and if he is guilty of those things, he should he should pay a price. He also had a, a history of lies, of course, about his own personal life on which he campaigned that were exposed. But recall 105 Republicans joined all Democrats to remove him from the House. Uh, And as we discussed at the time and last week, yeah, George Santos seems to suck. He seems to be a cringy liar. However, it is political and legal malpractice to boot him from the House on this basis. Number one, politically, you shrink a slim House majority. You make it even smaller. Even if you believe in that on principle, you have to recognize that the opposition is not going to do that. Senator Bob Menendez is still sitting in the Senate and nobody cares. And he's indicted on what are arguably more serious charges of exchanging policy favors to foreign influences for gold bars and other goodies. And legally, there's also an argument, even if you don't want to be a political actor and protect Santos for that reason, legally, Santos, of course, like anybody, should get a presumption of innocence. He has only been charged. He hasn't been convicted. It is perfectly principled, in fact, to say that he shouldn't be removed from office until he's convicted at trial, which, of course, he is not yet. But the other principle at stake here is who should decide. Uh, should Who represents this district in Long Island? Should that be decided by voters of the district in the fall, as they usually do? Or a bunch of other members of Congress who are not, in fact, from that district? Members of Congress are elected every two years, of course. It would have also been perfectly principled to say it should be up to Long Islanders by the normal process in November. But instead, by expelling him, you get an expedited decision on that particular question. And guess what? The district flips. Recall Santos himself flipped this seat in 2022, one of the few Republican pickups of that election cycle. And he took that seat from incumbent Democrat Tom Suozzi, I think is how you say his name. Um, Suozzi or Suozzi had held that seat for three terms prior from 2017 to 2022. Actually, Suozzi stepped out to run for governor, if I understand correctly. So Santos didn't take it from him directly, but Santos did pick up that district. And last night, Tom Suozzi took it back and he actually took it back pretty comfortably. Uh, about 54% to 46%, he ran against Republican county lawmaker Mozzie Pillup. And as far as any lessons that can be learned from this compressed race heading into um, the summer and fall campaign season, apparently Swazi took a tougher stance on the border than many Democrats, or at least that's how it's described. I get a kick out of it as described in this Atlantic uh, article here. 
He has called for more money to fortify the border, and he actually urged for the deportation of the migrants who kicked those cops' asses in New York City the other week. So what a bold stance. Wow. Maybe guys who come here illegally and beat up our cops don't belong here. What a what an aggressive stance for a Democrat. But here we are. Swazi also took uh, the abortion route, which was popular for Democrats in 2022 after the um, Dobbs decision and the... Um, the uh, undoing of Roe versus Wade. Uh, he painted uh, Pillup as an extremist who would support a national abortion ban in Congress. And even though I think that's preposterous, it does seem to resonate with independent voters. Uh, doesn't matter how broke this country gets. Doesn't matter how morally egregious the practice of abortion is. There are many in this country who cherish no freedom like the supposed freedom to kill your kid. It is just a, a fact of politics at this point. That I don't think that means that you compromise uh, your stance on abortion to try to... You don't kill kids to try to achieve political ends. That's not what I'm saying. It just You have to recognize the truth here that, that people are persuaded by that supposed freedom. I think the answer is to persuade them that it's terribly wrong, as I was persuaded. Uh, but... It's uh, it is amazing to me that that is is such a political winner for Democrats, but it is uh, another another note on this race. Um, it appears the uh, the diversity route failed for Republicans, and I I have not followed this race extremely closely uh, closely. So I'm not saying that 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 Mozzie Pillup was chosen because of her demographics. It's just it's interesting, as Tim Pool pointed out, Democrats ran an old white guy. Republicans ran a black immigrant woman and the old white guy won. The uh, Mazi Pillup is a uh, an Ethiopian born Jew, the first of that demographic to hold office in the U.S. That didn't matter at all. People who claim to love diversity for its own sake don't actually vote diversity. If it is, in fact, up against progressivism, they vote progressive even if it is an old white man, which tells you what the actual priority is. Is it diversity for diversity's sake or is diversity kind of a cloak for the underlying progressive agenda? This might be one clue um, in, in that particular question. And maybe, you know, you look at the immigration question, you look at the abortion question, maybe none of that really matters at all because of course um, this was a special election in a snowstorm with low turnout. Lots of Democrats voted early and voted by mail. Republicans tend not to do that. So they wait till election day and then election day was a stormy day. And maybe that's a factor. Maybe this doesn't mean much at all, but uh, that's how that race turned out. But hopefully Swazi can get sworn in soon so he can work on the actual priorities in Congress, sending your money to unaccountable interests overseas to perpetuate forever wars so of course you don't have a forever war knocking at your door too bad you'll be too poor to even own a door but you don't want the forever war coming for the door that you don't have after bailing on any effort at a border bill which uh, in fairness is actually unnecessary since joe biden doesn't need a new bill to enforce law already on the books at the border the senate has moved on to more important matters Late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, the Senate passed a $95 billion foreign aid bill, including $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, $9 billion in humanitarian assistance for Gaza, which probably just means we are funding both sides of that war, 
and $5 billion for Indo for partners in the Indo-Pacific region, which I think means Taiwan or, you know, other countries in that general area. The, uh, the vote was 70 to 29 with 22 Republicans joining almost all Democrats to support the bill. Democrat senators, Peter Welch and Jeff Merkley opposed the bill over the Israel aid, as did Bernie Sanders. Senator Rand Paul, meanwhile, congratulated his colleagues on fulfilling their duty, sending a bajillion unaccountable bucks overseas. Open the champagne, pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on their way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets, but they're taking your money to Kiev. Now, they didn't have much time, really no time and no money to do anything about our border. We're being invaded. A literal invasion's coming across our border. 800,000 people came illegally in the last month, and all they had time to do in the Senate was get the money, get the cash pallets, load the planes, get the champagne ready, and fly to Kiev. And of course, the cash for Kiev or Kiev, whatever the proper pronunciation is, um, it's not quite ready to ship. It's not yet law. It still has to get passed in the House. But Rand Paul's point that the Senate's priorities are clear is a valid point. This is the one thing that, if not everyone, a majority in uh, both houses to some extent can agree on though what's going to be agreed on in the house is still in question in the current form. It's dead on arrival, but that doesn't mean that something similar isn't going to be worked out. Speaker Mike Johnson criticized this bill over its lack of U uh, S border component. House Republicans are reportedly debating several ideas to amend the Senate's bill, including scaling back the money to Ukraine Another idea floated on Tuesday night among House Republicans was stripping the humanitarian assistance to Gaza and only including the military aid for Ukraine. Another option is ditching this bill and incorporating some of the foreign aid into the upcoming annual defense budget. In its current form, Speaker Johnson has said he will not put this bill to the floor, though, of course, he has to keep his members happy because just like his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, it only takes a handful of disgruntled Republicans to join Democrats to vacate his speakership too. For his part, Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries has vowed to use every legislative tool to get comprehensive national security legislation over the finish line, because that's what this is. Of course, this is national security. It's just security for nations other than your own. Uh, as always, I think we can remain confident that Congress will find a way to get together to achieve the one thing they can eventually agree on, sending your money to corners of the globe that you didn't even know existed, all while your own country rots. But with that encouraging takeaway, my guest tonight is Adam Vina. Adam is a Southern California father currently in a custody fight for his five-year-old son, Aiden. Aiden's mom is transitioning him into a girl against Adam's wishes and judges on the case have completely removed Adam's son from his life on the basis of that opposition. So we discuss that entire story, plus advice he has for fathers who are caught up in a custody fight in any context and some potential legal solutions in California as well. He was very gracious with his time. So the interview is about 40 minutes. We'll see you on the other side.
welcome back. I am pleased to host my guest for the evening. He is Adam Vina. Adam is a Southern California father who has endured a years-long custody battle for his five-year-old son, Aiden, as the boy's mother insists that Aiden is transgender and pursues a gender transition for him against Adam's wishes. Adam, thanks for making time for me, and I appreciate your willingness to talk about what is a tough topic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I know it took us a, a, a few, a couple of weeks to get connected, but I'm glad we, I'm glad we got connected and I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for you that i um, wanting to um, hear and share my story. So I'm, thank you very much. Sure. Uh, let's start from the beginning. When did this, uh, when did this, I know it's like, eh, it's probably an hours long story, but when did this gender I, transition stuff start for your son and how did it become the custody battle that it is and has been today? So, so it started um when my son was two uh me and my my uh son's mother were were separated we were never married but we were separated at the time and i received i just got off work and i received a um a picture of him in a dress and i was i was angry and i texted her back i said why are you dressing my son in girls clothes showed my father and he couldn't believe that that she was doing this to him um and i made it very clear in the text messages and the phone call don't do this to my son and i thought it had had stopped and which i yeah i thought it had stopped but on my son's third birthday um we negotiated that he would have him on the 25th which is his birthday and then i would have him the day after some of the decisions I've made in this situation um, were to try to keep it out. At this point, it was try to keep it out of the family court system um, because I didn't want it to get to that point. Um, and so on his third birthday, that he's, we were potty training, him, potty training him at the time. And he said, Daddy, I got to go to the restroom. I said, cool. Do you want to go by yourself or do you want me to help you? He said, no, I want to go by myself. I said, awesome. So let me know when you're finished and if you need help washing your hands. So he finished. He said, I need help washing my hands. We washed his hands. And then that's when he told me that mom had bought him a pink dress. And the way I'm going to tell you and your followers is the exact way I told my son. I got down on one knee. I looked him in the eye and said, hey, buddy, you're a boy and boys don't wear dresses. And he said, okay, daddy. And we went back to cake and ice cream. Um, and, and excuse me. And, and none of those times were there, was I shaming him? Did I yell at him? Did I, nothing, everything all my um what's the word i'm looking for my disgust or my argument has always been with the mother not one time have i ever yelled at my son because of this because i knew it was not my son's doing it was it was the mother's um on the mother's end so a few days later um i um i sent out i was i'm gonna be honest with you man i was angry and frustrated i and and hurt that she was doing this to my son so I sent out a bunch of, uh, of text messages and in none of those text messages, were there any threats of violence, um, any threats that I, any threats of violence or anything like that. It was basically saying he's a boy, not a girl, stop dressing him in girls clothes. And I sent out a bunch of text messages um, saying that. And within a week later, um, she got me onto a temporary restraining order. That put him on the restraining order and her on the restraining order. So what was the nature of of this text? Was it a text conversation or were mm -hmm. you? So it was back and forth. It was not 46 messages no, that were was, unresponded it, to. Yeah, it was 46 consecutive. A, a group of text messages 
consecutively saying, don't dress my boy, my boy in girls' clothes. Okay. He's not and, a boy. And she just did I, not respond to you and went to the courts? She did not She did not respond to me, and she went directly to get the, the temporary restraining order put on me with my son included on that. Okay. And I, I don't have court documents, obviously. Right. Um, I, I've, I have seen some public records that mm-hmm. are out there. Am I correct in understanding that she accused you of domestic violence? She did. Okay. She did. And, she did. And, and no, there has never been any physical violence towards her. When in fact, I, anytime that me and her got into a fight, I always walked away from the fight. I left the house, got on my truck and drove away because I did not want it to escalate to a certain point. So I always left. There was just like in any relationship, there's always name calling and fights and arguments and everything like that. But I always walked away and left the house to let things cool down. Okay. So do you, do you think that accusation was strategic then as she, as in she was trying to get this, this uh, restraining order. So she made an accusation of domestic violence and that's, and there, do you know what she said you did? Did she say you made a threat or did she say that you hit her or what did she say? It's all, it's all because of the words that I was using. It was all because of the words that they got me onto a temporary restraining order. And when in fact, um, I, I've had her, um, she, she punched me in the back of the head one day. Um, and I ended up having, not wanting to have her arrested, but wanting to one, protect myself. Um, so she ended up getting arrested for domestic violence. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Yes. Did you guys have a conflict in your relationship prior to this gender disagreement? I guess what I'm asking is this, was this the origin of the conflict or was it just a a catalyst to it? I think it, uh, our, we we did have fights, but I think in any any relationship, there's always going to be fights and arguments. Um, she has a a son from a previous um, boyfriend mm-hmm. um, that I took responsibility for, um, and come to find out that he had autism, um, and so and that six month period that we finally got his diagnosis, it was a real strain on our relationship. It was because if, if anybody knows autism, it's a very difficult, difficult thing to handle. Um, because the spectrum is so large when it comes to autism, um, that you could be functional autistic and then full blown non, I guess the, the bad side of autism. So her pre her son was kind of in the medium range, I guess, but there was a lot of uh, um, outbursts on him, um, a lot of waking up at three in the morning, um, having full blown um, tantrums in the middle of the night. So I really think that 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 caused a lot of strain on our relationship. And again, I I, I didn't know how to handle. Um, the autism, but I, what I can tell you is I, I felt bad for that little boy because I knew that this was going to be a, a struggle for the rest of his life. It's not like he could hide his, his, um, disability, get away with it, you know, for a while. So I felt, I, I loved that little boy and I felt really bad. I, I took on the responsibility for him. Um, I went to PTA meetings. I went to therapy to, um, to try to figure out ways to help him in his autism. So I, I, again, I really feel that that really put a strain on our relationship, the autism. 
Okay, so you end up in this custody battle. There's mm-hmm. a restraining order placed on you that's temporary. There's a subsequent, what is it, a five-year one that's come after the fact. Yes. And as part of this proceeding, the judge orders a gender assessment on your son. Yes. And you are excluded from those meetings or the that yeah, yeah. I, I hesitate to use the word procedure because am i understand do i understand correctly they haven't done any physical intervention on your son just no, they, social as far stuff. as i know they have they have not done any physical um i'm gonna say harm oh okay. they, i'm sorry let me re, let me rephrase that in my opinion what they have done to my son is physical harm mm-hmm. to him um referring to him as a girl referring to him as my daughter in court giving him she or her pronouns in court and all the way across the board and calling him by a girl's name. So in my opinion, that is physical harm. Forcing something upon somebody um, is, is, is abuse. Um, but yes, they, the court system completely cut me out of my son's life. As soon as the TRO or the temporary restrainer was put on me, they completely cut me out of my son's life. Um, I was only allowed to have two 15-minute conversations um, with my son. A week and in those conversations i was not allowed to talk about his apparel um i was not allowed to talk about basically male uh male stuff um and uh, i can't remember the other one but so that was supervised i take it someone is watching you speak yes. with him or listening to you speak with him the mother was allowed to ah, i see okay his mom his mom was allowed to monitor um the facetime conversations and in those facetime conversations i physically had to sit there and watch my son have um nail polish on he had a treasure box with a tiara earrings everything like that and i had i couldn't say nothing i couldn't be the father the male influence in my son's life and i physically had to sit there and have conversations with my son as he's got fingernail polish on how far do you think mom intends to take this do you think she will get into the physical intervention stuff by that i mean Puberty blockers, hormones, surgeries, things that are beyond just the words that that you've discussed. I think. And the clothes. I shouldn't minimize it that far, you know, but you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think. I think because of the attorney that she has. um, So let me uh, let me backtrack real quick. So. They did not, when it came to the assessment, they denied me access to be able to be physically there. They didn't, they would not allow me to be there. I had hired my own therapist to be there. They would not allow my, a child therapist to be there, not to sway left or right, but just to be able to sit in there and find out what steps they take, right? So when you go to a doctor and you've got a cold, they've got A, B, and C steps to take care of your flu, your cold, or whatever you're in there for, right? But with my son, they went from A to Z, if that makes sense to you. They never treated from the. They never treated step by step, and that was what I wanted to find out from. And when you say they, you mean uh, doctors hospital, or okay? So the yeah, medical establishment. Do you get yes. the sense that the the court or the judge was of that perspective too? So on the assessment that was done at Children's Hospital, it was found out that my son did not have gender dysphoria. He had, he was gender curious, right? Which are two completely different things when it comes to this situation. So they found the children's hospital, Los Angeles found out it was gender curious. Mind you that the, the assessment was 90 minutes, this assessment with the doctor 
between three and five minutes were only spent with my son and the rest of the time the mother spoke. All right. So there was nothing. They only they didn't spend very much time with my son. So it's all been hearsay and one sided with the mother. That's why I was so wanting to be able to sit in on this assessment to give my side of the story. And and from from the first day up until now, the court system, the doctors have never sat me down as the father to ask me what I think is going on with my son, how I feel. Nothing like that. It's been one-sided from the from the courts to the attorneys to the, the private school that I had my son in, into. They would never ask me what I think is going on with my son. Had you and your son's mom ever discussed this transgender stuff before no. she started applying it to your son? So this was just something you never mm. talked no. about. So were you blindsided by this? You didn't have any kind of warning or this just came out of nowhere? Completely came out of nowhere completely came out of nowhere. I, I've known her for a long time and I would never expected something like this from her. I knew, I think a lot of this has to do with control. If that makes sense to you. Um, she could not stand having somebody else either raise or help raise my son. So she needed something to she needed something to, to do to have complete and utter control over where he ate, where he slept, where he went, who he talked to. And she just did not like that there was somebody else doing that with basically co-parenting. Mm -hmm. She had to have every, she had to have all the control, in my opinion, to herself. And you get the sense that the legal system is accommodating that. It just defaults oh, to her. Okay. Absolutely. That, that's one thing I'd like to ask you about too, is just yeah. what you would advise to fathers who are in a similar spot, because of course, I think this gender stuff is going to increase over time, of course, but it, it could be a dispute about a, a wide range of things. And with courts so willing to defer to mom automatically, it puts fathers mm -hmm. in a very tough spot as you're in. And I've heard arguments like, well, just play ball, because if you play ball, you have the best chance to see your kid, which is the most yep. important. On the other side, in a situation like you're talking about playing ball, could mean that they are doing all sorts of interventions with your son that are going to be terribly damaging to him. And if you don't Absolutely. fight for that, are you are you surrendering to that? Are you submitting to that? What's your answer to to which approach is appropriate and how would you advise fathers who may face something similar? So let's talk about the play ball situation. I played ball from, from the beginning um, on this. So I we were the attorney that I had previous to the one I have now. We wanted to get visitations back set up with, right? So some of the stipulations with that is that I had to have supervised visitations, right? And I could not talk about his attire again, not talking about how he was dressed. Um, and for about a month, I was like, no, I'm, I don't, I have not done anything to deserve supervised visitations. If I was a drug addict, an alcoholic, something like that. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. If, if I was something like that, then absolutely let's, then I deserve supervised vis visitations, but I had done nothing to deserve supervised visitations. Okay. But I agreed to that to get back in my son's life. Then I agreed I wouldn't talk about the apparel, okay? So those are the two stipulations that they had set up for me. I agreed to that. 
I would email and call, okay, let's go. Let's get these supervised visitations set up. Let's get this ball rolling. I want to be back in my son's life. I want to, I want to see my son. I want to hold my son. And every time that I agreed to one of their stipulations, they always roadblocked me. Okay. So at this point, I'm trying to play ball to get back into my son's life. Right. And every time I catch the ball that they threw, they roadblock me again. So we went six months in, in regards to visitations. And every time they roadblock me only to receive an email from the attorney saying, sorry, Adam, but we had dropped the ball. Right. No one told me how much it was going to cost. They, they kept telling me, Adam, we got a, we got a visit visitor, supervised visitation monitor set up for you. I said, awesome, let's go. I'm ready to see my freaking son and nothing. So you can play ball. You can play ball, but in my, my situation, I feel that they, it's, they always roadblock the fathers depending on the situation. I, I, they, they continue. If I hear that word in court one more time, we're going to continue this case. I'm going to lose my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 every time we were in court, it was always, we're going to continue. We're going to continue. We're going to continue. What, what's unresolved? What do they mean when they say continue? What, what are they trying just to, to evaluate? Just to keep dragging it out. Mm. They, it, it seems like they're always dragging it out. So again, on, again, the, I've made the, some mistakes in this situation and I've, I have, I have, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I've understand the mistakes I've made. When you say that, are the, you talking about the texts or are there other just, things? No, nothing. Okay. Just the text messages. That's all I've done wrong in this thing is text messages. And they have treated me as if I had physically abused my son, neglected my son and, and, and physically abused her. So in California, the only way a parent or parents can be removed from a child's life, if there's physical abuse and neglect. And in none of my, in, in my situation, there's never been any physical abuse or neglect in my situation. It all has to do with not gender affirming. Yeah. I know there was a bill in California that uh, from my understanding, Newsom actually vetoed in a rare moment mm -hmm. of quasi sense. But uh, the idea was that, that gender affirmation was to be at least a required part of a custody consideration. It didn't necessarily require parents to affirm but let's say you're a dad. Mom wants to transition the kid like your situation. Mm -hmm. Dad does not want to. Dad's right. refusal would have to be at least a part of the judge's consideration in the custody battle. And in your case, I would assume that you feel like that was you're telling me that's the distinguishing factor that that was not just yeah. not just a factor, but it was considered abuse itself. The non-affirmation yeah. was abusive or uh, yeah. uh, some a form of neglect. Correct. AB 957. If a parent or parents are not gender affirming, the state can charge that parent or parents with child abuse. So they've actually made that potentially criminal. Yes. But or, even, uh, even though they vetoed, Newsom vetoed the bill, yeah. right? It's still happening. I mean, and it's still it, up to judges. All that said was the judges have to consider it, but judges, even right. in the absence of that bill, they are free to, to consider that as much as they would like to. So it depends yes, sir. on the judge that you get to. And if I understand, the judge situation in your case was a little bit odd. The original judge recused himself. With the, one of Which the judges was like a of. was an some kind of activist, like some kind of LGBT activist. Yeah. It, was it the uh, first guy or the current guy? The first guy, Jovi, uh, Judge Harvey Silverman. Mm -hmm. So, um, Harvey Silverman was first started out 
um, as an attorney down in West West Hollywood, um, uh, representing the LGBTQ um, community um, down there, and then he got into the judge. So, so my attorney has, and all of his attorney friends have never heard of a judge recusing himself from a case. Normally, he would recuse himself within the first case, with the first meeting of the of people. But never has there been a judge that recused himself three years into a court case. When I'll have to look up the technicals there. Recuse to me implies that he had some conflict of interest or something like that. Do you have a sense yeah. of whether he did or whether maybe he just had a family situation that required his attention somewhere else? Do we know at all the reason why he left the no, case? No, he would not. He did not put it on the paperwork. If it was a conflict of interest, if it was mm-hmm. something that was beyond incidental innocence like right. my family member died and i need time away if it was right. a conflict of interest would that not implicate the prior decision making that he made in the case would be the worry but they didn't go back and reevaluate anything he had already decided i take it no no okay no no they they i so i did a podcast um naming names and so judge, I don't know the whole judge Harvey Silverman was part of the AFCC, which is a family court um, association of judges. Right. Um, he, there's just something not right about this judge in, in my, my first judge in this case. Um, there's definitely something not right about him. Just got feeling. Uh, well, yes. based on the decision yeah. making, I can't say I blame you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the second judge is no better. The, okay, we, so you haven't seen any we, improvement. All right. No, when we first got the judge after he recused, um, Harvey Silverman recused himself, um, we got a judge down in downtown Los Angeles, right? So as soon as we got that, we did the background on this judge, and we're like, well, we're not going to have a fair shake with this judge. So we filed filed once to remove the judge to get another judge. That was denied, and we, we did it again. So we filed a motion to recuse this judge twice. And each time he denied, denied it. And as soon as we walked into court that day, um, I, I knew that I was, I was again, not going to get a fair sh- shake. And of course we did not get a fair shake. It got to the, it got to the point where opposing counsel was arguing, uh, was talking about the gender assessment, right? spent a half hour just talking about the gender assessment. And then when it was my attorney's um, turn to talk about it, the judge said, we are not going to have a gender debate. My attorney said, wait a second, you just allowed them to speak for a half hour, 45 minutes on this, but I can't spend any time. He's all, we're not here for a gender debate. Well, I guess I don't understand what they mean by that. You kind of are to the extent that's the nature of the dispute itself. Right. They don't necessarily have to agree with your perspective, but your perspective, right. the validity of it has to be entertained to the extent they're making a custody dispute Correct. or a custody decision about it. So that's that's kind of odd. But uh, do, well, do you and your legal team feel like if you were to get a diff, how many better judges do you think are available? I guess is my question. I don't I have an outsider's I, I, perspective, a guess that there probably aren't a lot of great ones in no, the L.A. court system, all, but the family court judges are are um, uh, signed off by Gavin Newsom hmm. or the governor, whoever the governor of, of California is get that governor will appoint um, 
family court judges. So we, the people do not vote on, we vote on judges, but we do not vote on family court judges, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense to you. So they're all governor appointed. So a lot of these governors are um, activists, right? They're, they're involved with the AFCC. Um, They're, they're involved. They have, People that come in and train them in certain situations like this on how to rule and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, they've, they've been involved in some political favors in the past to to get that yes. seat. One would assume. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Uh, well, so I don't. To go back to your question, I'm I'm David up against Goliath here in the state of California. I do not have I, one of the things I've always argued is let's. I want a judge who's down the middle. I don't want to judge too far to the right, and I don't want to judge too far to the left, if that makes sense to you. And there's no judges that rule from the middle. They're either, and I hate to bring politics into it, but a lot of these judges are really, really far left. And as we can see, the two judges that I've had are extremely far to the left. My case has been ruled only on feelings and emotions, if that makes sense to you, yeah. no facts or evidence has ever shown that Mr. Vina is a threat to the mother or to the son. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think you're exactly right that in a family context, we we may like political compromise. We may not in, in the political sense out there uh, mm-hmm. society wide. But when it comes to family, I mean, mom and dad have to compromise and get together for the best interest of the child. There has to be the inclusion of both and some sort of middle ground between both because to exclude one parent from a child's life as appears to be happening here more times than not, that has devastating consequences for a child. And I know the state thinks that they're protecting your son from you apparently, but on balance, you start removing dad or mom for that matter. I'm not an advocate mm-hmm. of removing mom from the situation, right. generally speaking. Right. You got to find ways to get mom and dad together as a rule, not break them apart. And, right. And I've argued that in court. I said, let's all sit down, all four of us, and talk about this. Let's talk about that. But every time that I requested to sit down and have a, a monitored, monitored uh, meeting with all four parties involved, it was always denied. They always, I always got denied. And I, I, I've always tried, I, I wanted to keep it out of the family court system so bad because I knew that I, before, even before the, the, this whole gender thing, I knew that I was not going to get a fair shake in the family court system. Um, and, and as we can see what is going on now. Has there been any ask of you? I know you mentioned in the past, you played ball. And you did what mm-hmm. they asked of you, and they still put more and more conditions on you, more and more restrictions. Has there been any sort of ask that you've refused? Was there a line that you draw that you drew? I know you said uh, you're not going to affirm the gender stuff, obviously. Right. You may you'll you'll submit to not talking about it, I suppose. But have you have, have they come to you and said, "Please do this as as a condition of seeing your son, and then we'll let you see your son," or are they just their their position is you should be out entirely. Well, it seems to me like I should be out entirely uh, because I have I have agreed to what they wanted to get my son back in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've done I've I've done what they've I've done what they've asked me to do, you know, and it's 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 like they don't want me to see my son. And I know it's cra- it's, it's probably crazy to you 
and your followers to think, well, this father must have done something really, really bad to for it to get to this point. And and I, I haven't. I have not done anything so bad to be put into this position. Or my grand or or his grand his grandparents haven't seen Aiden. And that's another thing. They would not allow us to see the second opinion medical records, right? They have not given my attorney the second opinion hmm. medical records. So his grandparents, because they're not gender affirming, they've been completely cut out of out of Aiden's life for well, no reason. And, and that's an important point. And I'm glad you bring that up because, of course, doing my due diligence on the case and I see an accusation of domestic violence. You know, I, I have mm-hmm. to I have to ask about that and try to investigate that for the reasons that you're saying that any time a child is removed from custody, you got to explore all possibilities about why that may be. But the other side of that, I'm thinking if he committed domestic violence. There's mm-hmm. got to be a criminal charge for such a thing, and I don't right. see a criminal charge. You have not been charged with any kind of violent no, no. attack or anything like that. Nothing. I was. I got. I got. Um, on one of my FaceTime conversations, um, Aiden had gotten rainbow shoes, and I asked her, "Why did you buy him rainbow shoes?" Right, and I got upset about it. Right, but again, no violence, nothing like that. Me just telling her, "Why did you buy my son rainbow shoes?" Because and the next day I had I had 15 police officers in front of my house. Suddenly they uh and I ended suddenly up the police a, shortage has expired. They have plenty of officers yeah. in this case. Wow. I uh, ended up getting arrested because I talked to her, which they said was a violation. Mind you, hmm. I paid his health insurance, I paid his medical, I I paid everything, right? And I text her on a quarter pointed app asking how a doctor's appointment and a dental appointment went and to receive an email from the attorney saying that if Adam continues to ask about these things, it will be a violation of the TRO and we will have to take further matters into our own hands, which means they're going to call the police and have me arrested over asking how a dental and a doctor appointment went. Well, yeah, I mean, that would, that would, imply what you're saying. They're looking for ticky tack things on which to ding you to further exclude you. Right. Right. Um, So I had to do with that arrest, I had to do 26 weeks of anger management and I had to do 26 weeks of child abuse classes. I'm literally sitting in a classroom full of people that have actually abused their children. And I'm sitting there going, all I wanted my son not to do is wear a freaking dress. hmm. And they've got me in these classes with child abusers. Before we uh, wrap up uh, on the topic of California politics, I yeah. wanted to ask you about uh, there are several ballot initiatives that that may reach the ballot this year. I don't. Are, are you involved with uh, any of the campaigning on this in any way? On I am. Okay, I am so actually, yeah. Protect Kids California. Do you, you want to yes. s- spend a few minutes talking about that? Yeah, yeah. And I just real quick, I have done, I've done nothing to deserve the treatment that I have received. I have done nothing to deserve to be completely cut out of my son's life. I know guys out there that have gotten I, a, a follower said that her husband had a D, got a DUI, got in a car accident, and still regained custody of his child. Hmm. He still had visitations with his kid. He was still able to talk to his kid, and he was drunk driving and almost killed people on the hands of that. Also, Charles Manson. The serial killer here in California was convicted of murder 
and he still had custody and visitations with his kids while he was in jail. I did not know that. You learn a piece of history every day. Wow. Uh, I I take it you don't have a criminal record on par with this. Okay. (laughs) No, I don't have, I've never, I've never been arrested a day in my life up until a few years ago. Hmm. So there's, they're, they're basically saying because you're not gender affirming, you're worse than Charles Manson. Uh, I wish that was that, that that statement should be more surprising than it is. It's a testament to how insane the times are that what you're saying even makes any sense whatsoever. You know what I mean? I, right. I don't I, I I apologize for laughing a little bit. I know this is a very no, serious no. matter. It's just what you're saying is so absurd that that's the way that I process and understand these things. It's so yeah. ridiculous. I can't help but but laugh at it. And I know when you're in yeah. a, when it's a situation when it's your kid. Right. I, mean, I, I don't know how you process a situation like that, to be honest. As I mentioned, we we're before we're live. I'm a new father. I got a two year old right. and I got a newborn. And the idea of of my wife betraying me in that way or the state assisting her in doing that is enraging, even in concept, right. let alone the reality of it. So I I can't even imagine what it's like to go through the sort of fight that you're going through. And and uh, and, and one last thing, if I yeah. had done something so vile to either my son or to her, you and I would never even be talking. I would not be doing all this stuff if I had done something so bad to be removed from my son's life. Yeah. That makes sense yeah. to you? Yeah. Well, they'd, I, they'd be pursuing you criminally. They'd be locking you up. You'd be right. Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't, that's why it all has to do with this whole gender affirming stuff. I I'm open to the case. Otherwise. Yeah. I just, I'm not, uh, I'm not seeing the the case that you were so abusive that they're going to, they're going to put you in, in prison or something like that. And yeah. if you're not, then I have to question what the actual benefit of removing a son from his father is because all the, uh, evidence would suggest that's quite damaging actually. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but, yeah. uh, yes. Did you have some thoughts? I just on, wanted on, to get that out there. Yeah, of course. I, I appreciate that. Um, thank you for, as I said at the, at the top, I know this is tough to talk about, so I really appreciate you speaking about it openly yeah. in this way. I appreciate you for wanting to hear my story. Thank of you. Of course. Uh, before we finish up, did you want to talk about this, uh, these ballot initiatives a little bit? Yeah. So we've got, uh, protect kids, um, California Act of 2024. Um, so with this bill, if we can get enough signatures, this will go on the November ballot um, for this year. Um, and what it's going to do, let me find it here real quick. Um, it is going to, I haven't memorized, but I want to make sure that I'm talking about it properly. Um, so what this bill is going to do is it's going to um, uh, restore parental rights. Um, for kids in school, um, why we have to have a, a, a law in the books to um, uh, for parental rights really tells you how out of out of date we are here in California. Um, I want to know if I was a, a parent who had a child in school, I would want to know everything about about them. So this this one initiative would um, give parental rights for um, mental issues um and identity or gender issues that are yeah. going on. So, so if the right. school, if, if, if your kid is trying to be transgender at school in whatever way mm-hmm. that may manifest, the school staff has an obligation to tell the parents. Correct. And right now, from my understanding, they're not, they're not doing that. I just they're, listened they're to a school board meeting in Rhode Island where uh-huh. the school board was crafting a policy to the opposite direction, as in there is no obligation to report. And indeed, these school board members were arguing 
that it's dangerous to report, that you're actually harming the child by including the parent in the conversation. And the degree to which these people are convinced that they know better for other people's kids than the parents of those kids is shocking. It's frightening. It's uh, a, a great way to destroy society. But these people yes. really believe it. So for people who might not think that such a law is necessary because it's just a given that your school district would include the parent. No, right. it's not. In fact, at least in some cases, they're scheming against the parents. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They're scheming against the parents. I mean, they've got health health sites on some campuses um, that can, I, I, I think, can issue, um, besides the nurse, they have these health um, centers on site of schools. And I don't know everything that goes into it, but I, there, there's some, some weird stuff going on in some of those health centers that are on campuses right now. The other pieces I see on these initiatives are, uh, prohibiting males from female sports, which of course we've seen plenty of events to that effect in the news. And then, uh, the biggest one, yeah, statewide ban on, um, uh, puberty blockers, right. And and, cross sex hormones um, and uh, gender gender surgeries on on minors. Um, And. This ballot initiative is not against the LGBTQT community. We're not anti trans. We're not anti LGBTQ. What we're trying to do is stop the stop these things from happening on minors. After 18, you're an adult. You can make the choices. But as we all know, some of these. Some of these medications and surgeries are not reversible when, in fact, there's a lot of harm that comes afterwards. Um, and I've talked to a couple of detransitioners to hear uh, about some of the stuff that's happened afterwards, and it's absolutely shocking. All right. Well, that's my guest, Adam Vina. You can find him. Uh, I've got your Instagram up. That is at mm-hmm. uh, Adam.Vina. You can also support Adam's legal fight on Give, Send, Go. It's givesendgo.com slash son. I have both of those linked, uh, both of those pages linked in the description for easy access. Adam, is there anywhere else you'd like to send people to follow your story? No, I just do a lot of posting on Instagram. I'm not a very, you know, techie guy, so I'm good with the, the Instagram. Every once in a while, I'll put something on Twitter slash X, but most of it's on Instagram. All right. Well, thanks again for your time and Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Adam Vina. Find him on Instagram at adam.vina. And check out his Give, Send, Go page if you'd like to support his legal fight. Both of those are linked in the description for your convenience. And to close the show, I think we've got an email question, right, Tim? Uh, We do indeed. Let me just bring that up. So... We have an email question this week from Long Don John. Uh, Long Don, uh, whatever. Long Dong John. Sunday viewers will recognize the name. Yeah. Would the omission made about Joe Biden's mental state this week make Joe a prohibited person to carry a firearm? If so, why should he be trusted to have his finger on the big red nuclear button? Well, let me just uh, 
start out by saying it's a funny premise. I am all in favor of Joe Biden not having his finger on the big red nuclear button. Um, but uh, I don't believe he's actually a prohibited person, uh, at least as defined by federal law that governs gun possession. Uh, prohibited persons uh, include felons, fugitives, illegal aliens, drug addicts like Hunter. Maybe Joe indulges from time to time. I don't know. But in this case, we're talking about uh, those adjudicated mentally defective or those committed to a mental institution would also be federally prohibited from firearm possession. But there's one word that's key there, and that's adjudicated mentally defective. Because as far as I'm aware, Joe Biden has never been committed to a mental institution, though one might argue perhaps he deserves such a thing. So the question is, does special counsel Robert Hur's observation that Joe Biden is forgetful and obviously has some some sort of uh, elderly mental impairment to a certain degree. Does that count as adjudicated mentally defective? And it does not. That term has some meaning uh, according to the federal law in, in question itself. And it means a determination by a court, board, commission or other lawful authority that a person as a result of uh, as a result of marked subnormal intelligence or mental illness, incompetency, condition, or disease is a danger to himself or others or lacks the mental capacity to manage his own affairs. The term includes uh, a finding of insanity by a court in a criminal case or a finding of incompetence to stand trial. Now, as far as I'm aware, none of those actually apply. I'm not aware of any court or other legal body that has found Joe Biden to be uh, under any of those conditions. So as far as I am aware here, he's not in fact a prohibited person. He could in fact own a gun and, um, and on principle in general, I'm not saying specifically to Joe Biden's case, I suppose, but on principle, that's a good thing. Uh, the definition of persons prohibited from arming themselves for protection should be narrowly defined in this way. If the standard is a guy like um, Robert Hur or anybody else just says that guy's crazy arbitrarily and, and they can disarm people uh, from their their right to to defend themselves. Well, that's a problem. Again, of course, none of that is is to be interpreted to mean that Joe Biden has the sort of mental fitness that a president should. I would also like him not to have the nuclear codes. And hopefully he doesn't come this time next year. But I, I also don't want a standard where older men who are generally more vulnerable to attackers have to disarm themselves uh, as their, as their mind slows down naturally with aging by fed enforcement. Because I think the fed enforcement is a greater danger. Give me armed grandpas. Even if they are a little, uh, even if they are losing their minds a little bit, I'll take armed grandpas over armed feds any day. I'll, I'll roll the dice on which one is more risky. Um, Tim, you had a thought on that. Really quick question. What are your thoughts on the idea he's not mentally competent to stand trial, but he can run the country no problem? And people pointing out that that's a bit of a well, weird the, contradiction. The, the, again, it's the assessment of Robert Hur. Now, if the court, if a court of law had made that determination, let's say Robert Hur brought charges of um, improper handling of classified documents, and the court said... That Joe Biden is incompetent to stand trial. That's what this law means. It doesn't mean that a yeah. potential prosecutor said that guy's an idiot or he's mentally slow, which is kind of what happened here. 
Um, it, it's the court's determination. And uh, so if that happened in this case, if, if it went to trial and the court determined Joe Biden is not competent to stand trial, then yeah. Uh, but that, that would be that would be the distinguishing factor there. And even for Robert Herp, even if he thinks that that Joe Biden is mentally deficient in that way, the question of whether Joe Biden should be president or not is an independent question that's properly left to voters, not necessarily Robert Herr, even though I don't think Robert Herr is is completely wrong in his assessment. But um, but yeah, as you can tell, I'm arguing for narrow legal constraint on removing the right to arm yourself, to defend yourself, because I think the consequences of being too broad and too loose with that are severe, even if it incidentally protects old man Joe Biden just a little bit. But um, thanks for the question, Long Don John. And remember, if you'd like to send a question for consideration on the show, you can head on over to the uh, contact page of my website. That's mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact and look for the MC Hour questions box. But that'll do it for the show this evening. We're all set for Super Chat, but I think we're actually good on Super Chat, Tim. Do we have any? Uh, in terms of YouTube, and hopefully I sound fine. It, sound, it looked like... Uh, Zoom tried to switch my mic. Um, we don't have any in YouTube by the looks of it. We have a couple of uh, Rumble rounds. Oh, yeah, I do see through. some on uh, so, uh, some so, on Rumble, yeah. We'll just quickly grab those. So firstly, from Addicted to Drums, good interview, Matt. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, uh, thanks for coming over from the Sunday show, too. Glowy McFed face. Hello, <laughs> fellow patrons. Yeah, I do like some of these names. Yeah. Hello, fellow patriot. Did you know the Holocaust is a lie and Hitler did nothing wrong? I'm not oh. sure if we can say that. Thank on you for your contribution Wednesday. to the show, fed, Glowy. Fed, 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 fed. Appreciate it. Uh, now, I did on this topic. The only thing I'll say on this, again, I'm trying to keep this production a little more professional than um, some of the the Sunday indulgences. Not that you're perfectly entitled to chat whatever you like, and I appreciate your support for the show. But on this theme, there was a very awkward moment during the Super Bowl. I don't know if you saw Tim, but during the Super Bowl, there was um, there was an ad from Stop Jewish Hate. And the premise was there's too much anti-Semitism. You need to speak out against anti-Semitism, blah, blah, blah. Right. But there was a, a moment in the commercial where there was a tweet up that said in big, bold letters, Hitler did nothing wrong. And obviously, in the context of the ad, it's saying that's bad. Right. Uh, of course. But yeah. yeah. If you just walk into the room and you think like, oh, I stepped out to grab a beer or to go pee. What's going on? Your screen in giant letters just says Hitler did nothing wrong. And you have no context yeah. for why <laughs> that that was a, a thing that happened during the Super Bowl. So they weren't even doing it a voiceover of going people make ridiculous statements and then put it up. They didn't even do anything no. like that. It, it was some other voiceover. Oh, okay. I should go find the ad. It was some other voiceover. And it was just text on the screen from a tweet. And as far as I recall, you couldn't even see who the tweet was from. I think they just found you know, a random guy like they usually right. do and say, Oh, look at all the hate. And it's from like a guy with three followers and two people have seen the tweet, but they have to maximize it. Uh, anyway, so just a couple more, uh, GR token, not going to say the last word, Mr. Token S word. Hey, yeah. Hey, my joggers, we dodged a bullet by not electing a rhino better, a Democrat ruining the nation than somebody doing it with an R next to their name. Rather vote Biden than Nikki Haley. It's, it's kind of an interesting conversation, that one, yeah. Would, if I had to vote for one, I mean, I, <laughs> am I going to get killed for this? I would still vote for Nikki Haley. I would, 
because I think it's going to at least create better economic conditions for this country. But as far as what it means in terms of our commitment to foreign wars and foreign entanglements, I don't see any difference. In fact, it might be worse under Nikki Haley. So this is not like a clear cut decision where I can't wait to get Nikki Haley in office. If that was the choice, I think Nikki Haley would be an improvement. But um, I mean, yeah, it's it's marginally so it's not obvious. Yeah. I think that one would be almost the definition of lesser of two evils. Yeah. But they're both pretty freaking evil, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one more from GR Token S word. Fanny Packed Willis has screwed several men in Rico trials she has not been involved in. This boy toy is not the first one, and he may not be the last one. Yeah, I um, I was jokingly entertaining that theory at the end of the video that I posted today, all about her pending disqualification. If you want to check it out, it's on Tennis Channels, of course. Uh, but I wonder, like, is Nathan Wade just like, is he the one and only Valentine for Fanny Willis? Or has Fanny Willis made a practice of this sort of thing? Because even though Fanny Willis, she has a good job, right? She um, she has, I suppose, accomplished something in that way. But is Fanny Willis going to attract the sort of men she might like to attract on that basis? Or does Fanny Willis attract men she's interested in through the prospect of, I can pay you with public money? I'd be interested to know. I, I'm not convinced that Nathan Wade is the only guy. I think there might be more. Just a hunch. Anyway, anyway that, thank that you, Mr. Like Esward, and, and the rest of our chatters. Appreciate it. I'm just quickly refreshing Super Chats on YouTube. No, it doesn't look like anything's come through, and it looks like it's going to be it for Rumble Rants. Okay, well, thank you guys for your contributions to the show this evening. It is very much appreciated, as always. And, of course, uh, thanks to my guest, Adam Vina. You can find him using the links in the description. And thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in, of course. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like more to listen to, there's more content on my website, mattchristiansenmedia.com. If you're new to Tenant Media, a like and a subscriber, much appreciated as well. We'll be back each and every Wednesday night, 9 Eastern. This has been the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenant Media. Have a great night.